Hi there, my name is Dr. Shivana Naidu. I am a board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Over the course of my career, seeing and treating thousands of young patients and their families, time and time again, I am reminded of how confusing it is to navigate the system of mental health care. Who are mental health care providers? How is therapy going to help my child? Should I tell the school about my child's mental health issues? What is the real diagnosis? Is medication going to change my child's personality? These are all really important questions. When parents and patients ask me these questions, there are a million thoughts I want to share. But usually, I only have two minutes left in the visit. Since I am back-to-back with patients, I don't always have the time to answer them the way that they deserve and the way that I really want to. So, this is why I started this podcast, to give you the information you need to help you think through the tough questions you are already asking, so that you can help your child in the best way possible. So join me, let's think it through, with Dr. Naidu, child psychiatrist. Hi guys, so this is Dr. Naidu. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of my podcast, Thinking It Through with Dr. Naidu, Child Psychiatrist. Today we're going to do things a little bit different. Um, Usually when I do my podcast, I write everything out and I read it and I'm really meticulous, but I'm going to bite the bullet and take a leap of faith and try to talk through some ideas that I have. So in today's podcast, I want to address a question that I get very often when I'm in clinic, which is when parents discuss with me the concerns they have about their child, they ask me, is this normal? Is this a phase or is this really something that's going to stick? Is it mood or is it attitude? I think this is a fantastic question, especially because in adolescents or teenagers, there are so many different phases and changes that happen with teenagers, it can be really hard to tell. And when you finally get to a point where you're seeing a psychiatrist like me, whatever has happened has been pretty significant and worrisome to warrant an expert like me really helping you think through, is this a phase or is this more? Is this mood or is this an attitude? It also makes me think of a shirt that I bought for my son, Gavin, which has the moon and it has phases of the moon on it going from a new moon all the way through to a full moon and ask the question underneath, is this a phase? Because I think like the moon, sometimes when it comes to outpatient mental health care, it seems like there are phases of people coming in for help that come along with the moon. There have been um, trends where there's a full moon and certain behaviors or actions come out. So I think that's a really important question too, because we are influenced not just by what is internally happening for us, but what is also happening externally. What are the forces beyond us that have an impact on our mood? So in today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about how can I tell if this is normal, if this is a problem, or if it's just a phase. And how we'll do this is talk a little bit about the adolescent brain and some major changes that happen during that time as well as an acronym that I use called FIND to help us think through how you as a parent can find out whether this is mood or attitude, right? 
So the first thing we're going to do is I'm going to share my screen and just share a picture of the brain. I did not make this picture. This is not my drawing. It is from online. Um, but what this is, is a picture of the brain from the outside. And what we see here is the frontal lobe. The reason why I'm pointing out the frontal lobe is that this is the area of our brain that develops last. When you're born, your whole brain is there, but during adolescence, it goes through a period of time from 11 up until about 25, where there is myelination, which is kind of developing extra padding to improve communication, as well as pruning, which is where certain neurons or brain cells that are not needed kind of get shaved off and die off, and the other ones that are really needed stick and remain. And the brain typically develops back to front. And back here, we have the area called the cerebellum, which deals with motor movements, fine motor and gross motor movements like running and writing. And then as we go through up through here, this is how the brain is developing. And in a teenager, this front part here, the prefrontal cortex, this houses our ability to make decisions, our ability to stop and think, our ability to think it through, right, when we're presented with a variety of information. It also has the ability to help us with impulse control or stopping and thinking before reacting. And this part here is the last part to develop, which is why so many teenagers are so impulsive. Before that, it hits the area in here and develops this first. That is our limbic system. Here are some areas of our brain that are connected to the limbic system, but I'm going to draw your attention to this small area right here called the amygdala. So you may have heard about the amygdala. It's a very small portion of our brain, but has a huge impact on it because it is our fear locator. It's the part of us that drives emotional reaction and emotional processing where we have can become hyper aroused to fear, hyper-attentive to emotional risks, as well as seek pleasure. So this area here develops first before our impulse control area, which is our prefrontal cortex. So I think this is significant because when you look at our brain and how it develops as a teenager, it helps us recognize that there is a differential time frame from when our brain is able to process and be its most productive. And for the teenage brain, because their amygdala is developing first, as that area develops, there can be increased sensitivity and increased surges of certain brain hormones called neurotransmitters. So those neurotransmitters are called dopamine and serotonin. There are many, many other neurotransmitters, but we're going to focus on those two. Dopamine is the neurotransmitter that is for pleasure and emotional control, as well as for our reward system. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter that's used in many medications. And that's one of the neurotransmitters that mental health medications, psychiatric medications affect because we want to affect how your brain may react to certain emotions. Dopamine is also very important for certain movements. So we may use medications for dopamine for a variety of things, which also include things like Alzheimer's or for motor tics. 
But in the teenage brain, there are vast fluctuations of dopamine. And when that fluctuates up and down, our amygdala is hypersensitive to reacting to dopamine. So this may be why teenagers are more prone to be excited by risks like jumping off of high heights or looking for drugs or going after a girl that some other guy has. Those risk-taking behaviors, um, running a red light, you know, or seeing a, a yellow light and speeding past it, these are kind of behaviors that are more enticing for the teenage brain because they are more prone as per their brain development to want to seek more rewards and attention and spice and pizzazz in their life. So the other neurotransmitter to talk about is called serotonin. Serotonin is another neurotransmitter or brain hormone that sends chemical signals for calm, for emotional regulation, for anxiety regulation, for depression regulation. So this is another neurotransmitter that mental health medications or psychiatric medications can impact um, when we give a medication. So most of the first-line treatments for anxiety and depression work on serotonin and regulating it and changing the amount of that in your brain. And as teenagers, the serotonin is also in flux, but not as much as dopamine. So the risk-taking teen, which is very typical, we think about with a teenager, are more risky, impulsive, reward-seeking teens that do things without thinking. That's in part because our amygdala is first being primed to look for those rewards. And secondarily, later on, our prefrontal cortex and our serotonin is being primed. There are many, many other neurotransmitters out there. I'm being really simplistic, but I just want to give a sense of how brain development and these particular neurotransmitters may be explaining how come we see so many changes in our teenagers and how come it may seem to be unclear if it's a phase or not, because our brain is fluctuating. In addition to our brain development, there are hormonal changes happening in our body. Testosterone and estrogen, the primary male and female hormones that both male and females have at varying degrees, and those also have surges to change our sex hormones as well as our um, sex glands. And in that case, there are various other trickle-down hormones before and after that can affect mood, um, anger, calmness, and the ability to be reactive and responsive to our environment. So the teenage brain and the teenage body is in flux. And as a result, there can be many, many changes with what we see in their behaviors and their actions. So as a result of that, it's kind of hard to figure out, you know, is this really a phase or is this something that is a new norm that's going to stick? The additional thing to consider is that as our brain is developing as a teenager, we have two sides of our brain, right? We have our left side and our right side. Our right side typically is attached to creativity and um, new thinking. And our left side is more analytic and orderly. Again, this is overly simplistic. But these two sides of our brain have to have a connection. And that connection is called the corpus callosum. That is the part of the brain that kind of helps integrate our left and right side. 
So our brain is integrating to the left and the right, the back to the front and the front to the back. And our entire brain is changing during this period of 11 up until 25. So when the corpus callosum has improved myelination or improved connectivity, this also helps our brain literally and figuratively connect the dots. So when something happens in our life, when we're exposed to something, some new information, we need to integrate all aspects of our brain to make the best decision, the most informed decision and reaction to whatever is happening. That development of the corpus callosum is also happening a little bit later than that amygdala development. So these are all things that you can keep in mind when you think about the teenage mind and how that may impact what we see. So how do we sort out whether the teenage behaviors that we see, the impulsivity, the high emotional reactivity, the responses, the attitude, the irritability that we might see in our teenager, even the anxiety and depression, how might we sort out whether that is a phase or whether that is something that's more of a fact? One of the things that I have come up with to help us sort out when we think about our teenagers is how do we sort out the duration, the time, the interval, and the level of dysfunction that these changes may cause? Now, the first thing to recognize with a teenager is that because the brain is developing, because the body is developing, because there are fluctuations, we have to see over the course of time whether these changes stick or not. So the question is, how much time, right? We know if we have a teenager in our home that teens can be very reactive and can seem to be in a particular isolative, anxious, sad, angry, bored mood pretty frequently. But what we want to understand is the pattern over time. So what I will do is share with you something on my website that I have created to help you find, F-I-N-D, whether the behavior change that you're observing in your teenager is something to worry about or something to just wonder about. So let me share my screen. Okay, so this is currently on my website, Do Better MD, where I provide information for parents uh, to help them think about how they can be an agent of change and suicide prevention in their youth. Um, so here I have the example of find. So I want you to think about when you see any behavior change in your team, such as them seeming more angry with you. I want you to look for the F, the frequency of that change, the I, the intensity of that change, the N, the number of times you see this change over time, and D, the dysfunctionality or the impact in their life. So let's go through each of this one by one. Let's say you have a teenager and you notice that they have become more snarky with you. They're just more irritated with you. They just don't seem to wanna to talk to you anymore. And this is very different because their typical 12-year-old self wasn't like this. They just turned 13 and now all of a sudden we think through how um, more annoyed and frustrated they seem to be. So as we think through our FIND acronym, let's use this 13-year-old behavior change as an example. 
over time, and I'm speaking about between two weeks and two months, so between two weeks and eight weeks, what frequency is this happening with? How often do they seem to be more annoyed with you? Is it every single day? Is it two or three times a week? Is it for a week at a time and then a week is, is over? Do you happen to find if this teenager is a female, is it around her period, the week or two before that she seems to be more irritated and annoyed with you? Does it seem to have any impact on whether she's hungry? If she's hungry, does she seem more irritated and annoyed with you? So we wanna find out how often is it happening? I also, with school-aged youth, if they're not homeschooled, I ask if the behavior change seems to be attached to going to school or on school days versus on the weekends. Why? School days tend to be more stressful. These tend to be days where there are more changes, more opportunities for negative and positive interactions socially, as well as more pressure to get things done and to stick on a schedule. Whereas weekends, where there tends to be less stress and less structure and more relaxation, there's a different way that young people and us as adults who work during the week are. So if a teen has these behavior changes that seem to be a little bit more concerning on the weekends, I put a little bit more weight on that because these typically are days where teens are less stressed. So that is frequency. We wanna look for F, the number of times it happens. What is, um, how often does it seem to happen? Every single day, uh, several times um, a week, on weekends, on weekdays, what is the frequency of it happening? Now we go to I, which is the intensity. On a scale of one to 10, how severe does it seem? So if 10 is the most intense, and one is the least intense, you kind of want to rate as a parent, how far does this snarky kind of irritability-ness seem to be? Is it a 10 on the weekends? Or is it just a two on the weekends? Is it a 10 after school, but tends to be a two overall? And I want you to compare it to where your child is when they are their typical, happy, good self. So whatever that may be for your child, this child, for example, has been in your life for the 13 years prior and you did not see this change. So compare it to where they were before. Because there are some kids that with this example of kind of snarkiness, having an attitude, um, being more irritated with you, who just tend to be that way. Um, so that might be a typical two for them. But you've noticed since they've turned 13, for example, it's escalated to about a seven or an eight. So you wanna know how strong it is and how long does it last for? Is it lasting for a few hours or is it lasting for the whole weekend? So you want to look for the level of intensity. Now N, which is number. So this is over a period of time, right? Two weeks to two months. How many numbers of days in a row is it occurring? Is it a one-time episode? Again, once a week, is it one, two, three, four days in a row? And then over that period of two months, how often is it occurring? So you want to know not just the frequency, which is the number of times per week, but the number of those clusters of irritability that are occurring. So the frequency is the um, just kind of how often it, the irritability is happening. And the number, which is different, is the cluster of it happening. So it's kind of like um, 
if there are waves occurring, you're going to time the frequency of those waves happening versus over the day, how often are those big cluster of waves occurring? That would be the number. And then the last thing is D, which is dysfunction. Now in mental health, we um, typically put clusters of what we call symptoms, which are behaviors or things that we observe in, in young people and old people and our patients. We put those clusters together as symptoms and sort out if that meets criteria for something called a diagnosis. But to have a diagnosis, every single cluster of symptoms must fit this last criteria of D, which is dysfunction. How much are these changes you see in your child causing a dysfunction in their life? So that may be, is their irritability with you preventing them from going to school, preventing them from going to baseball practice, which they used to love, preventing them from talking to their grandmother, who they used to talk to every single weekend? Is it preventing them from enjoying their life? from getting out there and being social? Is it affecting their self-esteem and their confidence? Is it impacting your family and your ability to be a family and function well? So we always look for this question of dysfunctionality within mental health because there's a wide range of people and how we react in the world. Whether or not your brain is an adolescent brain or an adult brain, this variability of the human experience is vast. But we want to know if there is a change, is it preventing you from living your best life? Is it stopping you from engaging in the life that you want to live? Is it making difficulty in your life so much so that it's impeding your ability to function? So that's why the last one, D, is really important. So this is the acronym that I would advise you look to find. F is for frequency, I is for intensity, N is for the number of those clusters of symptoms occurring, and D is for dysfunctionality. These are the things that I would advise you look for in your child over the period of two weeks to two months to see if this has been a consistent change. And if you've noticed this has been a consistent change for the duration of those two months, that is when I would tell you to absolutely go and bring this to the attention of your pediatrician or to bring this to the attention of your therapist or counselor with your school counselor or even find a psychiatrist like me. And the reason why I say to wait two months versus just two weeks, which is what is listed in our current DSM or our current kind of um, diagnostic Bible that we use to look for clusters of symptoms as mental health practitioners, as psychiatrists, is because the adolescent brain is a work in progress. And there might be changes in that two month where you may see, you may find this shift happening for a week, but not two weeks, for maybe once or twice in that two month period, but not consistently enough over that two month period that makes you say, you know what, this is actually really dysfunctional. This is actually really impacting my child. And if you see these changes, if you find the frequency, the intensity, and the number is high, and yet your child is not at a dysfunctional phase, and it still lasts that two-week to two-month period, I would definitely still let your pediatrician know. Because again, this could be a change in the mental health of your child, or it may just be a phase. 
But that information that you find as a parent, that find, is so helpful for us as psychiatrists, as pediatricians, as primary care providers, because that helps us ask the important follow-up questions and to follow your child so that we can ascertain, really, is this sticking? Is this more of a mood? Or is this just attitude? So remember, I know that no matter how frustrated, confused, overwhelmed, or uninformed you feel, I know that you are smart enough, brave enough, resourceful enough, and good enough to do something about it. That's why you're here, right? So thank you so much for coming along in this episode of Thinking It Through with Dr. Naidu, where we talked about the adolescent brain and the three major areas of the brain that undergo changes, our limbic system, the amygdala, our prefrontal cortex, our decision-making, and the brakes in our car for decision-making, as well as the connectivity between the left and right brain with the corpus callosum, and where I introduced the acronym FIND, that you can use as a parent to observe your child and the patterns of changes you see within them, whether that is irritability, whether that is sleep, whether that is anxiety, whether that is social connectivity, look at any of those behavior changes that you see. Use the acronym FIND over a period of two weeks to two months to get a sense of whether this is something that seems to stick. And if it is at the dysfunction level at any point, absolutely bring it up to your pediatrician. If FIN are all high, but the child is not dysfunctional, you can still bring it up to your pediatrician. So that way your pediatrician can continue to follow it. And if your child has a counselor or therapist, absolutely, you want to bring it up and keep track of this information so that you as a parent can help us as the psychiatrist, as the pediatrician, as the provider to help give you the right guidance to help your child be their best self. So Thank you for joining with me in this episode of Thinking It Through with Dr. Naidu, Child Psychiatrist. I will think with you soon. I'm gonna share my screen and play my outro so that we can have that done. Hi again, this is Dr. Naidu. Thank you for joining me in this episode of Thinking It Through with Dr. Naidu. Please remember that the opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and not representative of my job or any organization that I belong to. Please remember that the info provided in this podcast is not medical treatment or a substitute for medical treatment. Please always bring up these points with your own doctor and think it through with them too. If you or your family member are struggling with suicidal thoughts, please don't wait, please don't hesitate call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK or text the Crisis Text Line at 741741 or call 911 and bring yourself or your child to the nearest emergency room. If there's a topic that you'd like me to address or discuss in this podcast, or if you have any feedback for me to make it better, please do email me at drshivananaidu at gmail.com. That is dr.shivananaidu.com dot and it's a nancy a i d as in dog o o at gmail.com i will think with you soon